Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM with the Ask Brian Radio Show. Live every week, live every Thursday. You've, you listen to it. It's 1 to 2 p.m. In case you don't remember the time, we are live. <laughs> Boy, I got a chuckle or something. So, every week we have a show and we try to help people in business try to learn something about business. And Tracy... Everyone is always asking why Brian is spelled with an E, and I heard you have some of the answers to some of those questions, and so without any further ado, some of the people would like to know why in the world Brian is spelled with an E, not spelled Y-A-N or I-A-N. We don't understand. Uh, You've been the co-host for a while now, so you should probably have a good idea, although I did hear that we came up with a new one today, so uh, we'll we'll let you go through some of those, and then we'll come in with one or two more that we're adding. So why do you spell Brian with an E? (laughs) The suspense is killing me on the new E, but... Well, if we had a a drum roll, I would do it now, but uh, Emily won't find the drum roll for me. I mean, it's got to be budget cuts because we ask for one every week. So I guess, you know, what, what it's got to be what it's got to be. But Emily, our engineer, are our two primary E's because without Emily, our engineer, there would be no Ask Brian with or without an E. How about that for a riddle? Well, but then ask, answer this question, Miss Riddler. Okay, the show has started five over five years ago. All right, and Emily wasn't working here over five years ago, so please explain that one. Well, Emily is our current reason why it couldn't exist without her, but we've also had our wonderful uh, Pat, who has, because he got promoted because of his excellence in his engineering, he is now an executive, and so therefore he is no longer our engineer. And Ooh, is that, that because hard. executive is with an E? Is that why you're saying that? Or be, <laughs> what's and by the way, Patrick is like number five on the list. Okay, well, Patrick is the most excellent engineer before Emily, <laughs> so therefore his expertise has never been in question. I, I, I will you're call. I will call. Very difficult on me. I'm going to call Andrew in, the prior engineer, because I don't think he's going to agree with you. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was never engaged with Andrew on the show, so I don't know. <laughs> and is, I don't know if he was engaging or not. And is, all of our and all of our guests who are experts are always engaging with their entrepreneurial experiences. Getting a lot of ease there, but I didn't realize engage was part of it. But okay, I guess you're adding a new one. So I guess there'll be more than one addition to the ease, but go ahead. Well, our listeners are always engaged with our exciting and enticing (laughs) educational content. So therefore, engaged is a new one. But I think you actually have an even more new one. Well, first of all, you forgot about a couple of them, okay? You forgot about Uh, enthusiasm! uh, Which was on purpose because of that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I didn't hear the word experience. I said experience like five times. And what about educational? 
I said educational content. You, you, you keep going, buddy. All right. Well, here's the new one, and I, and okay. I, I'm going to give you the hints, and I think you can get the answer. But we're going to give it a shot. So let's have oh a drum, God, let's have a drum roll, Emery. Emily, do you have a drum roll? Cold. We don't have a drum roll. Well, Patrick used to have one. Cold with, All right. No, so let's do the drum roll for the new one. That sounds really phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> well, just wait till I tell Jerry that we need to get a drum set for here. Anyway, I'm going to give. Oh, you by the way, audience, this is there's no dress rehearsal here. I am literally hearing this for the very first time. <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I'm offering that disclaimer up front. <laughs> Are you saying I fly by seat of my pants? Anyway, so I'm going to give you a hint. And I give you the, these two hints. I do believe you can come up with the answer. So, the first hint. Okay, let's see. The first hint is the movie Grease. Okay. Okay. The second one, which okay. I think should give it away, because I think you and I have about the same age classification. And so, I'm going to say something about it. And once I say this, I think you're going to get it. But, uh, do you remember the car that they had? Um. Dang. Well, how about electrifying? Cause That's it! Electrifying! <laughs> Woo! You got it. Yeah. See? It's electrifying! That's that's exactly what the show is. It's electrifying! <laughs> Everybody's electrified. Even Emily. Her hair is standing up. <laughs> Emily's probably running out of the room. <laughs> she wishes she could. But she needs the nine dollars an hour that they pay her. So anyway, I oh, stop. Don't disclose things like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to tell them what her salary is. Anyway, so we have a very, very good guest today. And by the way, interestingly, so uh, our guest, she is the CEO of a company called You Rock. And so now I'm going to ask her a question. My first question, because we have Brian with an E. Why is Rock without a C? It's the play on the expression, you are okay. All right. That's actually what I said to you yesterday. I love that. That is great. That is exceptional branding. Well, thank you for that. I come from a product marketing and strategic marketing background, and I've named a few products in my career, but we really wanted to emphasize the, the positivity side of things for kids since they're um, – criticized and held accountable and punished all too much. We wanted to be the positive place for them to go in the virtual world. So uh, what what our listeners don't know what UROC is, but before we get there, we want to go a little bit about your, your prior background. So UROC was created when, what year? Oh, what, what year did UROC start? You, no, um, well, I, you are okay, I started dream, dreaming about it in 2016. And then from there, we went to uh, uh, product concept test and then coding and then launching and so on. So but before we get there, what were you doing prior to 2016? Well, my entire career has been spent uh, helping companies bring new products to market, both inside of corporations and as a management consultant with my own consulting practice called Vision and Execution. And would there be any products that some of the people in the audience might know? Well, I've worked with a lot of name brand Fortune 500 companies uh, on projects uh, within their uh, realm. So 
you know, that would probably be less interesting. A lot of the companies that I've worked with over the years have, at this point, been acquired, so you might not recognize them. But probably my biggest claim to fame was uh, working with the first ad-serving software solution uh, created by NetGravity, which got acquired by DoubleClick, which got sold to a private equity firm, which got then was acquired by Google. Wow. I know, I know DoubleClick because I uh, actually represented a client. We sued them and won. Um, so, question for you. How did URK come about? How did you, how, what made There's you actually two, two reasons for it, and we might have my sidekick here contributing to the call as he goes barking in the background. I had actually gone through a divorce, and I was, you know, when we have a major life event like that, you think about changing more than one thing. And so I thought about doing something different. And someone said, well, if money were no object, what would you do? And I, I I'm sorry, that's King in the background. Um, I said, well, I'd do my own startup, but I don't have an idea. And literally an hour later, the, the idea just totally floated into my head. And I started building upon it, researching it, you know, evaluating if there was a, a, a market there and so on. But it was really all born out of the fact that my son um, was diagnosed with a learning difference and a, and a mental health issue at a very young age. And our lived experience with his journey to um, recovering and dealing with all those kinds of things uh, taught me a lot about what does and does not work well in the mental health care field. And um, what was your goal then? Uh, was it to help people that have some concerns and, and problems, what, what was your real reason? Well, my goal is actually very lofty. My goal is to raise the next generation of totally healthy adults because the practical reality is most of the challenges kids have are because of family of origin issues, issues their parents had because their parents had issues and whose parents had issues. And what happens when kids are teenagers is they start to do end runs around their parents, especially when there's dysfunction in the home, and start looking for their own answers because they know this doesn't feel right to them and they are trying to create their own solution. So our goal is to teach kids really how to build their emotional resiliency skills. Um, research has documented that emotional resiliency is the foundation to mental health. And by having really strong skills in that arena and the ability to process really big emotions when bad things happen allows you to go through the challenges that life will throw at you and come out um, ahead. So how does, how does UROK work? Well, there's two components to it. We've created a, a smartphone app um, by and for our target market of adolescents and tweens, and it basically gamifies evidence-informed research about how to improve your emotional resiliency. We've got um, a, a platformer game in there that's kind of the hook pulls kids in, but there's uh, a knowledge base of information that they can look up that's curated and more tailored to a, a tween or, or teen in terms of what they should be reading about issues in their life or what they want to know about issues in their life. There's a feature that allows them to practice self-advocacy, another feature to practice gratitude, and another feature to reframe negative emotions and take a more positive view of what they're dealing with in their life. And all of those come together to help improve a child's mood. And we've found from our uh, pilot of 2,800 users 
that kids actually do get better using the app based on our analysis of their change in scores. And then we've heard anecdotally from the kids how much better they feel from using the app. So how do you determine that somebody has gotten a benefit out of it? Is it just polling or is there another way that you can measure? No, we have um, algorithms that analyze everything the kids share within the app. What they share within the app is, is always private and it's not shared with anyone else. But our algorithms are able to do sentiment analysis and assess how positive or negative they're actually feeling based on what they're sharing. And that score that's produced, we call it the MIOK score within the app, serves as an emotional thermometer to help kids know if they're doing okay. And um, if they're not uh, within the app, we encourage them to reach out to resources to get more help. And for customers who are using our, our enterprise dashboard, which is a SaaS-based solution, they have the uh, dashboard to basically do population health management and determine how well uh, a school or a um, pediatric practice or a therapeutic practice, how the patients are doing from afar, and also risk stratify who needs the highest level of care uh, to prioritize the limited available resources for therapeutic care as we're going through an extreme shortage across uh, all age groups, but it's especially bad for adolescents with the shortage expected to last to 2050. So a couple of things. My first question, and I had this when I first met, met with you, is awareness, right? So if you don't know you have a problem, then you can't even attempt to try to solve that problem. So how does awareness come in? Uh, how does somebody realize that they need to contact or, or work with you are okay. What is the trigger for that? Well, I would suggest that there's not a lack of awareness. We already know that kids are doing a lot um, using Dr. Google. And um, so they know when they don't feel good. And in some cases, they're embarrassed and they don't want to upset their parents. In other cases, their parents, they don't want to upset their parents because they, you know, have a short fuse or something like that or just wouldn't be supportive. So the kids already know that they don't feel good and they're trying to find solutions. And even the folks who could potentially meet the diagnosis for anxiety or depression are still quite aspirational and wanting to feel better and be their best self. And that's basically the messaging we put out about the app that makes it so attractive to the end users, the youth who are using the mobile app. And do you need the parents' involvement for this? Well, like most uh, apps or social media sites, kids are getting on these things whether they have parent permission or not. When we work with our enterprise customers, they have the ability to secure parental approval first, and that's what um, is happening with our client in in Florida. That's the eighth largest school district. They've um, solicited... uh, approval forms from the parents so the kids can not only use that app, the app but share the, their email address with us so we can invite them into uh, the program and, and download the app. So let's go through how this works. Somebody uh, decides to download the app and then uh, what would they do? They'd fill in their information and then maybe ask a question or, or how would they? how would this work? Well, there's two ways to engage with the app. The one is because um, your school or your pediatrician or your therapist um, has contracted with us to offer it to the population that they serve. 
and they would be invited to use the app as a result of that arrangement. It's available in both the Apple and um, uh, Google Play stores, so uh, an individual can actually download the app, and it's free to them uh, because that we wanted to do good while making money. And we make our money by providing our enterprise dashboard to the um, enterprise customers to monitor their population. But basically, once someone decides to download the app, they create their account, and they're able to use all the features within the app. And what are some of the popular features that people are using? Well, there's about six features within the app, all of which are evidence-informed activities designed to make kids feel better. But the lead feature that, that is kind of the hook to download it is the platformer game. It allows you to name your emotions and get in touch with how you're really feeling about four categories in your life, school, family life, social life, and other stuff. And then you get to um, collect uh, uh, acorns by, you know, achieving all the levels and overcoming enemies and so on. But also within the app, there's a knowledge base uh, that helps kids find the information they're looking for about teenage issues. There's an, a feature that helps them practice self-advocacy in a playful way so that they can practice asserting themselves in an emotionally healthy way. There's a gratitude uh, practice, and then there's a feature that allows you to reframe your negative thoughts into a more positive, uplifting way of looking at your challenges. And most of all, with those latter features, you're able to then go into an anonymous peer support program where you can interact with kids your age, but it's so secure and anonymous that there's no, uh, it's a randomly generated username and there's no photos or avatars, so kids feel really safe sharing things that they would not share to anyone else because they're coming, really trying to sort it out and see where they feel themselves, and they get support for what they're going through. Last question, then I'm going to have Tracy ask some questions. And as how, did, how, did, how is this monetized? I mean, obviously some, someone's got to pay for this program, so how does that work? Absolutely. We make our money off of our um, uh, enterprise dashboards. That's uh, available to schools, youth organizations, juvenile detention, healthcare providers, and insurance providers to track how the population that they're serving is doing. But most of all, it allows them to risk stratify that population. As I mentioned earlier, there's such a shortage of therapeutic care that it's you know hard to find as many resources that are as are actually needed. So we give folks insight into kids who might be really adept at flying beneath the radar, but are really struggling. And these are often the kids that end up in the ER from a suicide attempt. And so that's what people are paying for. Uh, and it's prices, volume-based pricing based on total community served. So it's basically the enterprises that are paying, no one else is paying. Is that correct? Correct. So an example, the enterprises, what, like the school districts, et cetera, are there any other, uh, any other defined enterprises that you're seeking? Yes, schools, youth organizations, juvenile detention centers, pediatricians, therapists, insurance providers. Those are all among our target customer groups. All right, well, without any further ado, A-D-I-E-U, that's Tracy's favorite because word. Because that's Tracy's you favorite love word. all the consonants. <laughs> because it only has one vowel. I can't say it as fat as Patty does, though. So, like, further ado. Because I'm more excited about the next chapter of questions. So, tell us about your 
entrepreneurial journey story in that um, I know you have a background in product to market and product marketing. How has that influenced the branding and the messaging and everything that you've been doing in terms of building this business out? You know, it's really kind of funny how your early life experiences can ultimately end up shaping your career. I've always been a keen observer of people and human nature, and that made me really good at marketing, marketing research, strategic marketing, but also as I, my career developed and the product management category or function as, as a job category emerged uh, during the early part of my career, I was just exceptionally good at reading the tea leaves and seeing which way things were going hearing things that other people might have missed about what was really important to them, and then always taking the point of view that for a company to be successful, you have to give the customer exactly what they want and and what they need. And there's always a way to do that profitably, and that's kind of how I built my professional career before I became uh, an entrepreneur myself and the CEO of my own startup. And even to the, um, we were talking off the mic before about the name, so I'd love it if you would just share the the metaphor and the synergy of you rock and what that also represents um, in another way. Sure thing. So much of everything we've learned about parenting is about logic and consequences, which is a very punitive way of parenting. And given my own experience parenting my child with his issues, I had to relearn a more connected and emotionally supportive way of parenting. So I really wanted to focus on everything that's positive and um, the strengths of kids and help them feel as they're, especially as they're hitting puberty and, and pulling away from parents and trying to figure out who they are as an individual. It's so much easier to do that when you're feeling supported, emotionally supported, and getting positive reinforcement versus criticism and negativity. And so because of that emotional goal on my part, uh, we ended up coming up with the name You Rock, as in you're great, you're doing fine. But it's also uh, a play on the, the words uh, you are okay. And we really want kids to feel like they are okay and if there is a challenge that we're there to help them to get better. I think the anonymous factor of the community support is so wonderful in how that's executed on the app. I am, I have a curiosity around, has it ever been considered that you would have both an online and an in-person component to this? I mean, I could see the positives and negatives of both, but I, I'm just curious if, the, if there's any ideas around having an in-person component simply because of having that ability to really connect the human connection aspect of it. I would say that for the generation that we're targeting and the ones that will come behind them, they don't have that same need for in-person connection. They're somehow able to manage forging those relationships online. And that's not to say that they, um, I'll give you an example. My son's in college and he's about to fly to Florida for spring break to stay with the friend he made online who ultimately was part of the Parkland shooting massacre. And when he came out to California to get away from Florida after that happened, they finally got to meet in person. And they've maintained this friendship mostly online for probably five years now. So I would say you know, in person is, a, is something that 
older folks or parents think about, but the kids aren't thinking that way. That's so fascinating to me. And obviously I'm probably showing my age, but I, um, I agree with you. I mean, that generation has grown up with the, um, the phone being an appendage to their limbs, literally. So they don't really know another way. And I just also am curious, like from the mental health perspective, is that just a new way of living and, and how does mental health address the virtual relationships versus the in-person relationships? What I see happening uh, with what kids share in the app is that they're working out their in-person relationships through a digital format that's safe and anonymous. So if they're not getting along with their best friend or their parents, those are the kinds of issues that they're sharing within the app and they're getting support from others um, using the app as well. We have buttons that vote um, for good idea, bad idea, when they're trying to figure out how to solve a problem. We have helpful and hurtful if they're trying to self-advocate and they may not be saying something all that kind, but you know, very emotionally charged for them. So we're reinforcing some very pro-social behaviors and how we've designed the app. And that's what allows them then to go back into the real life and have better relationships and, and do better. From an entrepreneurial perspective, I'd love to know, like, uh, I know you shared the idea behind the, behind you rock, but I'm also curious because you don't, you've worked in startups, but you've never actually been the founder of a startup. So two questions I have is, one, what was the, so your aha moment was, if you could do anything, it would be to start something, but. At that moment, you really didn't know that this is what you were going to start, correct? So how, how did that go from if I could start anything to I want to start you off? Well, first, let me just say that I've had entrepreneurial attempts um, throughout my life from, like, creating opportunities to work as a high school student to um, almost after every job I tried to do some sort of you know, consulting or, you know, more consulting-oriented projects. And my, my firm, Vision and Execution, I founded 20 years ago and have led that company um, during that time. So it wasn't completely devoid of entrepreneurial experiences, but being the CEO of a startup pre-funding and pre-revenue, when I, of course, which every startup is when they get started, is very, very challenging. And not every there are many people who have had great passion for our, our, what we're trying to achieve. Not everybody has the financial resources to dedicate themselves to a startup to get it to a, um, early revenues and, and early funding. So that is more than anything the challenge is finding people who have the skill set and the compassion and the financial resources to play an impactful role to the company. In doing that, so were you primarily self-funding or did you start out with the concept and then start um, researching funding opportunities right away? Well, as a, as a C-Corp um, or one that was intending to be for-profit all along, um, there's very little funding opportunities for you if you're not a serial entrepreneur as in a uh, healthy exit. So everybody is bootstrapping and self-funding we've actually been able to uh, close our first customer, so we are starting to generate revenue, and we're part of a fantastic accelerator called Expert Dojo that puts money into their co cohorts so that they can uh, 
get a little breathing room and scale more efficiently. So that is one of the big challenges. And then there's also women still make, depending on which report you read, make up only 2 to 6% of total investment dollars. So that adds to another challenge in getting securing funding. And one of the reasons I like Expert Dojo is they're very pro-women pro entrepreneurs. Yeah, they're an amazing group. Uh, so you were actually reading my mind in terms of having a few questions centered on women entrepreneurship. And my curiosity would be, as a female entrepreneur, what have been some of the challenges that you faced? And then specifically, have you faced challenges being female entrepreneur in the tech space? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> and I was assuming yes, but I didn't. I was assuming yes, but I did not want to imply. <laughs> and, and here's the worst part of it, at least based on my own personal experience. I will not categorically describe the situation this way. But I have observed that the women who are trying to make it better for other women are held to higher standards for funding their funds. And as a result, they have to be even more careful and de-risk even more extremely than men do. So um, the big challenge, and it's well documented in the Harvard paper that talks about the fact that men are interviewed for success and women are interviewed for failure. Wow. That's a very powerful statement, and I just need to just leave it there for a second. So in your... In the tech space specifically, have you run into challenges that are related to being the founder of a tech company? And do you consider your company a tech company? I'm assuming yes, but I'd, I probably should clarify that first. We're definitely a tech company, and that's an interesting state of affairs in digital health uh, of any kind is you have people coming from healthcare and academia versus people coming from tech and how those silos eventually have to merge and have a more common ground. And there's some challenges around that. I don't have any challenges when I'm out in front of customers talking, you know, or things like, you know, I don't have challenges in terms of, of hiring people. The, the real challenge is the challenge in getting funded. Companies who are doing something similar to mine but for adults or, you know, other type solutions, um, if they have a male CEO, they're just further ahead uh, in terms of funding. Uh, so regarding that funding issue, um, who are your competitors? You know, there's a number of companies that are going after the youth market, in part because we know how badly youth are suffering, as, as the U.S. General pointed out in his recent paper. But the other thing that's interesting about the funding market is investors fund what they know. and Right now, digital health is a super hot category, so many of them are getting really happy with um, marketplace solutions that they really understand because you can have a marketplace for any industry category. But the fact that they don't understand the extreme shortages in providers and that that's not a, uh, ultimately a scalable model because everyone is now competing for the same limited number of therapists available but these companies that have the marketplace solutions because they're easy to understand have pulled ahead in terms of funding. Uh, to Petrina, the question was, who are your competitors? Now, you don't have to specifically name names, but if you know if there's some big company out there, some really, really big competitor, 
you could do that. So if you know that, that's fine. If not, uh, I have a follow-up question. Well, I guess the best way to explain it is that the strictly app-only digital mental health solutions out there like Headspace and Calm and MindStrong are all going after this market. Insight that I have gleaned from talking to folks is they're not doing that well because it was designed for adults and not for kids. So they're struggling with how to um, evolve their product. Companies who are specifically designed in, at, for and targeting youth as we are, are companies like Hazel, Neolith, June, and Manatee. But as I mentioned previously, they're almost ex- exclusively focused on the marketplace, which means what they're trying to do is match a patient to a provider when there's not enough providers to go around. And how does somebody sign up for the service? You just go d- download uh, You Are Okay, the app, or is, is there another way? Well, our... Marketing focus currently is on our enterprise customers, and um, anyone can go to our website, which is urockapps, Y-O-U-R-O-K-A-P-P-S dot com, and there's a form that you can complete that will um, generate a notification for us to reach out to you and set up an appointment. But if you're an individual user, such as a a teenager, and you want to try out Cabro, the app, um, you can go to Android or Google Play Store and just download it for free. Well, I just want to know what's next for you. What's next for you, Rock? Well, our expectation is we'll close our first uh, major round of funding this year, as well as uh, close uh, a bunch more customers and get things up and running. And then we have lots of ideas for how to expand the product capability so that we can deliver more digital care and make it available to youth in underserved populations in rural areas where the access to care is very limited. Only 50% of counties uh, even have psychiatric care available within their county. Is your focus going to be limited to adolescents, or are you going to, at some point, look into either the adult market or the under-adolescent We're market? absolutely looking at the college-age market because that's really where the rubber hits the road. There's no parental support now, and that's where kids really tend to implode. Um, We've talked to a number of universities and gotten feedback that while we probably need a different name and maybe a different uh, logo and home screen, the features as they stand would appeal to the college-age population, so we're moving in that direction. What about stigmas? Because, you know, some people still do have that area where they, you know, if they find out that you're on your okay or they know what it's about, a kid could find out about that. They could, you know, stigmatize somebody for that. So how how do you get around that? I think that's a worry if you're getting prescribed a digital pill, which is what they're calling um, these mental health apps, and some of which are getting FDA approval. But we're the exact opposite of that. When, um, for example, um, in the Tampa Bay School District that we'll be going into, it's available for every single student, we're not pulling a kid aside and saying, we're worried about you, so you must use Capo to feel better. We're saying, here's a fun gap app that will build your emotional resiliency and help you not only have fun, but feel better about yourself. Who doesn't want to be their best self? That's always been our positioning for the app, uh, Capo, and it works really well. Even if they're really not doing well, they're still aspirational, aspirational about feeling better. Is your main marketing channel through the schools, or do you do marketing through social media to go direct to the adolescent? 
Well, we definitely have very active social media marketing on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We have uh, Instagram and a Facebook page are geared to kids, and then we have a separate Facebook page geared to adults, and then Twitter and LinkedIn obviously would be more business-focused. It's where we connect with therapists um, who are concerned about kids as well. But we also have a very active direct sales program going on, reaching out to our target customer groups to gain their interest in what we're doing. And we've also been, there's, fortunately, um, because of the growth of, of the category, there's been a lot of uh, health conferences and, and virtual health conferences, digital mental health conferences, where we've been able to talk to people who are actively seeking solutions like ours, and that's where most of our leads have come from. Yeah, well, the best way to reach you personally, if anyone wants to ask you a direct question. Sure thing. It's Patrina, P-A-T-R-I-N-A, at urockapps.com. Well, thank you very much. Very good guest. Tracy, Patrina, appreciate it. We'll have you back on later as, as, the, as the, you grow. Uh, you're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220, 98.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.